0: Hello and welcome to Plotrous. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're reviewing Be Mine Tonight by Katherine Smith.
1: This was published in 2006 and is the first book in the Brotherhood of Blood series.
0: (laughs) So as you can probably guess from that series name, this is a vampire (laughs) romance. Uh, It is October It is the time for scary monsters and Halloween, and we wanted to go all in this year, so. And this book is very much a
1: traditional take on vampire lore.
0: Yeah, so if if you're looking for the vampire who's damned for all eternity and gets burned by the sun and holy water hurts him and needs human blood to survive, we got you covered. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Um it's it a passing reference to hating a werewolf. <laughs> yeah, right. Just thrown in there. There are no werewolves in this book. Just random passing thought because you gotta establish what's clearly coming in the series.
0: Obviously. Um let's read this book jacket because this this book jacket is amazingly is let's just read it because then we'll talk about it. Okay. I am called Chapel. For nearly six centuries I have roamed the night, a mortal man no longer. Would that I could undo the past when I entered the sanctuary of the Knights Templar to wrest from them the Holy Grail, only to discover the chalice I raised to my lips was not the sacred relic, but a hellish cup of damnation. Now I shun the day and all things human, driven by an ungodly thirst. And yet,
1: never have I known a maiden the like of prudence Ryland, whose beauty and spirit awaken a heart I feared long cold and dead. But her young life is slipping away, and she also seeks the deliverance of the grail. Unaware that the cost of her search could be her soul. I must help Prudence, for in six hundred years no other woman has stirred my passion so. But dare I tender to my beloved that which she most desires? The sensuous gift of forever that is both rapture and a curse. My immortal kiss.
0: You guys, it's like, this is nothing like the book at all. This jacket is, like, I I, I that Lane, shit. Lane recommended this book. No, I and did I'm not. And I'm like, okay, I'll read it. And I read the jacket, and I was like, I was like, "What did she recommend to me?"
1: Recommend is a strong word. This comes from the pile of books that uh, my friends and I bought in high school and college, and d- highlighted the dirty parts.
0: So, <laughs> recommend is an interesting word there. <laughs> well, it was suggested as a vampire romance. Yes, I did that. <laughs> and I, I'm gonna be completely honest. The, the, the book jacket, which you can see if you check out our Instagram page, is like green people making out with some red, the woman's got some red lips. Yeah. And so I saw all of this, I put it together, and I thought that this was going to be a modern day vampire romance, sort of in the vein of, like, Anne Rice. Well, and with the book jacket and the way it's written, you're thinking first person. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. Nope. (laughs) Nope, guys. This is a pretty traditional historical romance. It is uh, Edwardian romance. Which it's is third person. It's third person. You know, v- pre- so I started reading it and I will admit that I was pleasantly surprised.
1: <laughs> I feel like the general aura that the, the jacket gives you, the writing and the visuals, really makes you think you're about to watch the um, Dracula musical from Forgetting Sarah Marshall. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then it ends up being like, A very par-for-the-course historical vampire romance. But I I also love how we can just say, yeah, it's a par-for-the-course historical vampire
0: romance, obviously. (laughs) With, um, you know, (laughs) some cancer thrown in. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, there is. uh, Okay, I was pleasantly surprised I did have some issues with this book. So, uh, Meg, what was your attempt at summarizing this book
1: better than the first-person, modern-sounding, vampire-like, melancholy
0: ruminants? Well, just so you know, we had 20 words to work with. So, so here are my 20 words. Prudence wants the Holy Grail to cure her cancer. Alternately, she's willing to become a vampire. Chapel's foiling both plans.
1: So you did a better job than the jacket in that I wasn't laughing
0: the whole time you said those (laughs) words. Well, the worst is I was trying to be a little bit funny. (laughs) Honest, there was no way we were going to be
1: funnier than a jacket ending with the line, rapture and a curse, my immortal
0: kiss. (laughs) Oh, gosh, I know. All right, how about your 20 words? A tortured knight turned vampire working
1: for the church oversees a Grail quest led by a woman with cancer.
0: Sexy. I mean, yeah. So, uh, in case you guys were wondering, and this, so this is in all three jackets or all three summaries. We've got the Holy Grail. So the you know Holy Grail is there. We know we've got <laughs> we got the sexy vampire. Um. But we are the only ones that mention the cancer, and really it's it's the key to everything, and it's not a spoiler? No, but. it's not a spoiler at all. You know she's got cancer from the moment she you're in her head as in the third person, limited perspective that you get.: Yeah, you so
1: I don't know why they shied away from that in the jacket. I mean, the
0: jacket didn't really try to do anything. Yeah. I mean, they said that her young life is slipping away, which is, I guess, an oblique reference.
1: To the ovarian cancer that has spread to her entire torso.
0: Yes. Yeah. So there were a lot of
1: tropes in this. Most, obviously, I think this is a very traditional vampire. Mm -hmm. Not only in the ways we describe where, like, he has the characteristics that you've come to expect from a vampire, but in that he thinks he's damned and has a tortured soul and that this is a fate worse than death. And obviously, with her dying, she and the people around her are contemplating eternal life as potentially better than, you know, dying. Mm -hmm. And he refuses to see that because he wouldn't want her to be a monster. And, you know, he tragically went to see his first love after transforming and it was a nightmare and he would never wish to go through that again. Yeah. Like a lot of the very traditional angsty vampire stuff, whether in a romance novel or otherwise is
0: very present here. That said, I am still a little disappointed that they didn't sit down to dinner and like start eating garlic. And he was like, no, No. I need to leave. (laughs) I thought one, one thing. Yeah hilarious
1: how quickly her family was like oh cool you're a vampire sounds good
0: <laughs> totally oh yeah they're like to- yeah I-, I kind of love that part actually there-, there are a lot of things I actually really really liked about this book I forgot how much I liked her sisters
1: yes yeah because I hadn't read this book in like 10 years mm. so I-, I-, I probably read this as a senior in high school several times we would drill lines backstage in theater with this book and then probably touched it my freshman year of college
0: and haven't touched it since i forgot like the supporting cast is really great yeah it it is it so it's a very traditional vampire romance but the romance itself is not super eh, i'm not i'm not sure what to say the romance tropes are not super tropey
1: yeah and some of that is because she's dying her family has like stopped giving a flying fuck about propriety She's clearly not going to have a season. You're not talking like her concerns are very different than even the most non-traditional romantic heroines. She's actively dying and that changes her own perspective and the perspective of people around her about her. Yeah. But I think the fact that like her goal in the first half of the book, at least to try to find the grail to prevent dying
0: is a really unique setup. Yes. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. I mean, I do think you got a couple
1: of romance tropes, though, in that there is a near-death admission of love. They both don't say I love you till the very end. Yeah. Yep. Um, He obviously has a secret past because he's undead and is living under an assumed identity because he's undead.
0: You mean Chapel's not his real name? Shocking. (laughs) (laughs) Shocking. Uh, And yes, he is haunted by... His lost first love. Who did not take his vampirism particularly well. But it it wasn't just his... Anyway, when he comes out with the whole story, I was like, "Mm,
1: mm hmm. Mm, No, that was... (laughs) (laughs) Very weird.
0: (laughs) Very weird. But anyway, I I, I did think that really the literary quality wasn't that bad. And and I think, I honestly think that... after reading The Jacket and expecting God knows what, I was so pleasantly surprised that yeah. I was like, oh, I was like, this actually is readable, enjoyable, I'm liking this book. So I think I will give The Jacket that much. It made me really appreciate the book for what it is. It's. Okay. Okay. It has some of the
1: most horrific and trite wording I've ever seen in a romance novel. I think it's the only time I've actually read on a page in the course of this podcast. Take me. Take me now. (laughs) And at one point, he thinks of her as his moist woman. You know. I don't know what to do with that. So, like, it is, I think that's part of the reason why this was the one my high school friends and I gravitated toward to laugh at. Yeah. Because it was filled with, like, every horrific, overdramatic vampire sex trope that you've ever read. hmm But the flip side of that is so much clothes porn. hmm so Oh, my much. God. Great descriptions of her outfits. Great. Like, so, to a degree, the, the plus and the minus of this book is it really leans into what it is. Yes.
0: Yeah. I, I agree. I agree. Uh, but I, I think it really comes down to I didn't know what to expect, and I was so happily surprised with what it is that I, I was like, yeah, this is, this is a pretty good book, you know?
1: <laughs> I honestly, I will probably read the rest of the series now just because, like, I'm kind of curious. And weirdly, even though I don't think I've ever read anything else by Katherine Smith, my
0: library has a ton by her. Ooh. Alright guys, including the rest of a new series, new vampire series. Including the rest of the series. So why not? Why not? So what did you think of the mythology?
1: I thought she did a really, really good job of alluding to things that were more familiar to most people. Mm-hmm. Like Arthur, without like delving into it in a way that somebody could get nitpicky. About yeah. the things she changed or the things she didn't cover. I thought it was really fun to reference King Arthur. To reference the Templars. To reference French efforts to recover the Grail. But then to put her own spin on it. Yeah. I, I, and I, I think it was she walked the line of. I understood the universe and why these things were important. Without feeling like they were overexplained.
0: explained. Yeah. What so about you? I, I thought it was well done as well. I'm less into the whole Arthurian mythology than you are. So for me, I was like, "Oh, this is this sounds like um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade."
1: <laughs> With I the mean, Templars
0: yeah. and that's the also great the- though. it is it is great. Like let's be honest, that also is really good. I so what they what she her new spin on it, at least I had never encountered this before, was that there was the Holy Grail, but then there's also the Blood Grail. And the blood grail makes you a vampire. (laughs) It gives you eternal life, but, you know, in the monkey's paw kind of way. Yeah, and it's sort of, like, it sounds like it was sort of created and then used as a decoy. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. But what I was super impressed with was how well her French pun worked. So. Yes. You say the the way you say the Holy Grail in French is le le Saint Gral, and then the Blood Grail is le Sangal, so it's like really close and really well done. Um, I was like, wow, she did a really good job with that. Well, and there was just
1: enough like the Lilith mythology I've seen in vampire stuff before, and so I think she did a really good job like intertwining various different like relatively.
0: Standard mythologies. Yes. With
1: her own spin
0: on it. Yeah, agreed. I, I I thought it was really fun. I thought it was well done, and nothing hit me. Nothing was a howler. Nothing was like, oh, really? You know. Mm-hmm. And some stuff I was like, yeah, that was good. You know. Well, and even the whole premise, and this is the prologue,
1: so I don't feel bad about spoiling it. Mm-mm. Is the French king hired this like well-known band of mercenaries to go to England to try to find the Holy Grail? And they basically fall for traps and all of them become vampires on that trip. And all six of them have made very different choices with their lives and have reacted to their vampirism in different ways. And even the ones working toward the same cause are doing it in different ways. And the book actually did a really good job of dribbling information about the others without in any way feeling like they were taking away from the main couple. None of the other four who are still alive who you know the rest of the series is going to be about, actually take up any page time. As characters, they're all just
0: talked about. Yes. So it worked really well. Yes, I agree. And so then, so we talked a little bit about her family as secondary characters, but there's also another character, Marcus, who was a really interesting character.
1: Yeah, and I totally forgot about him from, like, 10 years ago when I first read this, but he's the expert that she's been working with to track down the grail. And at first he's presented as a love interest for her that she's already moved past when the book starts. But then you find out he might have ulterior motives and he knows more than he should about the grail and the situation at hand. But it turns out like he's actually a really good guy and, and, was doing even the shady things he was doing to be a good friend, mm-hmm. and I just think like he really did defy tropes.
0: Yeah, in a way, I found really refreshing. Yeah, I
1: liked him. Like he wasn't just a bland friend. He actually did have motives outside of romancing her or screwing her. Yeah, and, and screwing her not
0: not in the, the romancy way. <laughs> Right,
1: but I mean, like, literally, he wasn't motivated by lust or evil.
0: Yes. yeah, He had his own motivations that were his own motivations. You know, they weren't evil. They weren't saintly.
1: And even, I think it would have been easy for a character like him in another book to get killed. Mm -hmm. And that's how he sort of, it's proven he's actually a good guy. Mm -hmm. And in this book, he manages to, like, stay alive and actually be useful yeah so I was like oh good job for writing a like random male sidekick I'm not annoyed
0: by yeah all right so we basically just raved about everything we liked about this book here's the deal that's only about half the book or two-thirds of the book plot-wise
1: yeah like her sisters obviously are in the whole book and remain awesome the whole book but
0: Yes. But the the plot, basically, the plot of looking for the grail, encountering obstacles and then, you know, figuring out how to get how to move past those obstacles. What are they? You know, that all ends about two thirds of the way in. Mm -hmm. And so the whole book, you know that she has cancer, you know, she has cancer because that's why she's looking for the grail, because she wants at this point. She knows she's going to die unless there's a miracle. So she's looking for a miracle. And she meets Chapel. You find out pretty quickly. And this is another thing I liked about the book. He doesn't keep his vampirism a secret for like a ton of the book. He he gives gives up the secret. He lets her know. And he's not trying to keep it a big secret for, much, for very long. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, oh, okay, well, I can't find the grail to heal me but you could make me a vampire and he's totally like no, 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 no it's it's really awful it's terrible you don't want this to happen to you it's better to die and she even actually even he himself know. admits he wouldn't have changed the outcome for himself yeah, yeah and she actually doesn't beg him for it She's not even pushing him at all. It's everyone else in their lives. But here's the deal, guys. So for the last 30 to 40% of the book, basically what happens is they have a lot of sex and she dies from cancer. And it's a graphic decline Mm -mm. of her health. Mm -hmm. Catherine Smith does not spare you in any way. It talks about her symptoms. It talks about the effect it has on her family. They mm-hmm. talk about what's going to happen after she dies. They talk about, you know, she's writing her will, things like that. And and, Meg, the, and I she, cried. Oh, guys. Oh, my God. Guys, Lane cried. I Maybe the second cried. time on the podcast. Is this the first time? I think it's the second because I cried during the Duke who didn't That's and you right. didn't. That's right. Um, this book is, is agonizingly difficult to read. In, yeah. And I was honestly angry at the book because I knew, I knew she was going to be saved. I'm sorry if that's a spoiler guys, but she falls in love with a vampire. He's going to make her his vampire queen. They're going to live forever. Okay. When does he make her a vampire? Not until he literally hears the death rattle in her throat and she's about to die. Like, I'm not kidding. It's,
1: it, could, it needed something to change. If you were going to have him wait until the very last second, her condition needed to be described less graphically.
0: hmm
1: Or you needed him to figure it out a smidge sooner than he did. Mm-hmm. Because her deathbed confessions were hard to read, especially yeah. in conjunction with how bony her hands were and how much weight she'd lost. And it was profoundly upsetting.
0: It's it's really, really difficult. And, you know, if you are a person like most of us who've had someone in your life who the, – the, the person in your life doesn't have to have had cancer specifically – but who's had a serious diagnosis or a terminal diagnosis of some kind of illness. Or anything that's
1: caused them to deteriorate rapidly.
0: Anything. I mean, this is this major content warning, major trigger warning for this book. Like, honestly, I was really crying hard. (laughs) It wasn't just a few tears, you know, I had a few tears. I was was, (sighs) like, I had tears rolling down my cheeks and I was (laughs) angry that I was like, no, Save her. Like, come on, Chapel. Oh, I was so angry at him. I was really upset with him. I do think earlier in my life,
1: I would have told you I was not sure if I would want to be a vampire if offered the opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I think um, some very serious conversations with friends around the time this came out in conjunction with reading this did finally sway me to the I would want to be a vampire side.
0: I would be a vampire instead of...
1: And not even instead of cancer, but just like, yeah, there are a lot of downsides, but the upsides are too cool. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Uh, so just okay. a, how did you feel about the vampire age gap here? Because, I mean, he's 600 and she's somewhere between late teens, early 20s.
0: Yeah. Well, I thought she was more like mid to late 20s for some reason. Anyway, it doesn't matter all that much. She's def- she's it's definitely
1: 20s. unspecified. She's the youngest of four sisters, and it seems like the youngest two are both unmarried. Yeah. And nothing was said about them being spinsters or anything, so I just right. assumed it meant
0: late teens. I, I don't teens know or late why. 20. I thought I thought like twenty five, twenty six, but it doesn't really yeah, matter. So he, we both could be right.
1: Like it's it is not specified yeah. either way. He's six hundred. She's roughly five hundred and
0: seventy plus
1: something years younger than him.
0: For some reason. <laughs> I had no problems with the age gap. Me neither. And I'm trying to figure out why. I mean, my thought is, because she's dying. Like, I'm not kidding. She's dying. She's like, I need to live my life to the fullest. And if it's with a 600-year-old dude, fine. Also, he for like 400 of these 600 years, he's basically been moping in church basements. (laughs) (laughs) Which... Why do I find that hot? I don't find it hot, but I do find it, I don't know, like it puts him more on the same level as her or something. Yeah. He's been so
1: single-mindedly obsessed with preventing what happened to him from happening to anyone else and brooding about it. That he hasn't had much time to, like, emotionally grow or experience the world. And he sort of cracks up at that several times. Right. It, they did not feel nearly as unequal. Which is, I guess that's props to Catherine Smith. Because clearly he has all the power in this relationship. Given that he, like, literally saved her life.
0: hmm
1: But it actually felt like a very equal partnership. In terms yeah. of, like what they were both learning about themselves and each other?
0: Yeah. All right. Uh how sexy was this book? Sexier than I remembered, especially given that she's
1: like dying of ovarian cancer. <laughs> and mean, it's not like
0: the sex scenes spare you reminders of that? Mhm. Like, like I-, who- I will say that at least there is a plausible explanation as to why they don't use birth control. <laughs> well, they say he can't procreate. He can't procreate. She's got no uterus, so. No, she's still safe. the uterus.
1: They removed her ovaries.
0: Oh, excuse me. I'm so sorry, guys. She's got a <laughs> uterus. But she's got no, u- no ovaries. Yeah. So n- neither of them are making a baby. Which was great. Um, I also liked that there wasn't a whole lot
1: of baby grief. No. Especially for having a pregnant sister. Like, this book just didn't go there, and I really appreciated it.
0: Oh, yeah. She wasn't sad because she wasn't going to have a baby. She was sad because she was dying. (laughs) You know, which makes so much sense. But, yeah, how many times have you read a book where they're like, I don't want to die without having a child? Or whatever. Spoiler alert. No matter what it
1: costs me physically or the risks, it's the most important thing in my vision and my life. But uh, yeah, so first of all, he has like absolutely no qualms Mm -hmm. about having sex with her for all of his other qualms about this whole thing. He is trying to deny his bloodlust. He decides he needs to give it in a controlled way so he doesn't hurt her. So he does and he does it with relatively little angst. Then on the way back from making that decision, he's like, cool, she's an adult. She knows what she wants. She's dying. If what she wants is to have sex with me, we're going to have sex. A couple of chapters later, she asks him. He says yes immediately. And they proceed to have a lot of fun.
0: And they're creative. Guys, he he can fly. Okay. This dude can fly. And she's like, let's, she's like, I want to experience things that I won't experience. And so he flies her to London. To a sexy um, cabaret show. Mm -hmm. Where they start making out. And then. She's like. I want to go somewhere that's public. But not too public. So where does he take her? He flies her. Onto the grounds of Buckingham Palace. And has sex with her against a wall. While the Buckingham Palace guards. Are like right around the corner. Guys. This was amazing. I did not. This is. (laughs) I will, I did not expect to find this in in any book and I don't think I'll ever see it again. And it was amazing. It was fun. Like,
1: okay. Was this angsty story about a vampire and a girl with cancer fun? Kinda? Kinda. (laughs) Like I don't, like overall the whole plot is not fun. No. But the individual moments, like, I don't know. I thought this book was relatively lighthearted and like
0: chuckleable. Even with its serious subject matter, except for the cancer parts, yeah. Well, and the <laughs> weird he attacked his fiance part. <laughs> okay, guys, the fiance part. He um he he goes on this mercenary mission. He becomes a vampire, and then mild he's like,
1: spoiler warning, very mild spoiler very warning.
0: He's like, this is awesome. Being a vampire is so cool. So he goes back to his vampire or his vampire he goes back to his fiance's place breaks in excuse me cuz he can right. break in cuz he can fly now so he flies in over the balcony goes in and and she's asleep and he starts having sex with her no
1: she's asleep and like has clearly cried herself to sleep thinking he's dead he's
0: dead so he um bites her boob and starts drinking from her <laughs> And she freaks out and throws herself over the side of the balcony. The the committing suicide. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. She dies. Uh I will tell you that that was all disturbing. But the <laughs> most disturbing part was prudence was like, Oh, I can't believe she would act like that. She obviously didn't really love you. <laughs> it was hilarious. I loved it. And I was like, wait, 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 She didn't love prudence. you
1: for who you really were? Ew, what a cow.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was like, whoa, 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 Prudence. Prudence.
1: Yeah, no, luckily, he didn't rape her. I want to make that very clear. He did not start having sex with her. He went with the intent of turning her, thinking that, of course, she'd want to spend all of eternity with him. So he started the process of turning her by starting to drink her blood, and she woke up in the middle of it
0: and freaked out. Well, and that's the thing, too. It's not like he woke her up and said, hey, sweetheart, I'm not dead. We're <laughs> going to have eternity to live with each other. He just non-consensually started turning her into a vampire. Correct. <laughs> consent, Guys, kinda great. <laughs> consent is very important, whether it's sex or vampirism. I know, but...
1: One of those things might traumatize people in the real world. No one listening to this podcast has ever had someone try to turn them into a vampire without their consent. I, I should mean, not. I hope
0: not. My God, and Some weird stuff happens in Florida, but. <laughs> yeah. And I will, I will simply say that, yes, I get it. This is a part of vampire romances, but the whole blood drinking is sexy gets to me just a little bit.
1: I liked it less, here. like, I usually have, like, a small degree of tolerance for it, but I feel like blood as food was a little bit more, like, medical in this book. I think partially because she has cancer and there's a lot of medical stuff being tossed around, but also, like, one of her sisters is discreetly giving him bottles of her blood while she's really sick so that he can stick around and doesn't have to worry about feeding elsewhere. And there's something very clinical. That's the word I want. Something very clinical about his need for blood in this book. And even the way he feeds off people prior to engaging in a relationship with her Mm -hmm. that made incorporating into sex seem even more than like having sex on a dinner table where there's a pork loin. You know what I mean? Like there was something very, there was no, there was no, like you, like I said, usually my plan is like, Oh, he just like nibbled on her. Yeah. And in this one it was like, nope, he's eating while fucking, no thanks. Yeah, well, and... they' it only know. Most of the sex scenes do not involve... No. Which is... That's good.
0: Just a couple. And but... most of the makeouts don't, so... Oh, yeah, no, no, no. Also, oh, trope, Meg, reading room, the library. The library. Very sexy. And the gardens, but it wasn't a waltz and a fondle. No. Uh... Look, i honed in on the one that I was really in, uh, impressed with, which was Buckingham Palace. No, I know. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> were they in a though. shed, too, in the garden? Garden shed? I feel like no, they this... were in a garden shed.
1: No, they were outside in a garden. He turned off all the lights, and then she just Pressed had sex up with him. That's against
0: the shed? Maybe? I don't know. There were several. There were, there. look, guys, <laughs> there, there were several sex scenes. They were all pretty hot. As long as you could get past the she was dying in all of them, and the blood in the one of them. Yeah,
1: but once so, again, this is a vampire book, so I think if you're considering reading it, you're prepared to get past some blood.
0: It's true. So did you? Uh, yeah. Okay, so guys, I, I think I would I think I would actually recommend this book with the the big caveat that that there is some intense cancer stuff in this book. Yeah. Yeah. For something I bought
1: and read as a joke a long time ago, I thought this held up pretty well. Yeah. I'm interested in reading the rest of the book and seeing where the series goes. And so I guess by virtue of that, I would recommend it. That said, it's heavy.
0: And if I like the rest
1: of the series, I don't know that I'll reread this one.
0: Yeah, this is this is one that I I honestly don't think I would ever reread, despite the fact that there were quite a few things that I liked a lot. It was just too heavy. I'm yeah. Yeah. So as always, thank you guys so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd love it if you would rate, review and subscribe.